0: facts candid conversations and some levity to lighten your day this is the kale clark show on relevant radio hey welcome to the kale clark show so happy to be with you on this day it is Wednesday, May the 17th. Yep, it's only Wednesday. It's hump day. But again, going to push you over that hump and give you a nice ride into the evening. 888-914-9149. You might be riding into the evening yourself, riding into the sunset somewhere in the great United States of America. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show. Or you could email the show. Now, this is a great place to send show ideas. I've got lots of shadow producers out there, and you could be one of them by simply sending me a show idea, question or comment, maybe an article that you found interesting. You know that the show is about faith, facts, and fun. You can email me at Kale, C A L E, at relevantradio.com, and find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C A L E, Clark with an E. Well, later on in the show, I'm going to talk about maybe the most interesting man in the world. No, not the Doseckis guy, but he kind of looks like him in certain ways. The most interesting man in the world, maybe, and certainly the luckiest man in the world after what happened last night. I'll tell you about that later, plus more faith, facts, and fun. But i got to start off with this. What if I were to tell you that there was a best-selling, if you will, self-help book, and it's better than any bestseller of 2023. It's 1,500 years old, though. But I'm telling you, if you haven't read this book, it is one of the best things going, and it can cure the ills of modern Doomer culture. We don't want doom and gloom. We want positivity. This is incredible. I I have to tell you about this. And I found out about this through uh, one one of the best, speaking of Twitter, one of the best follows on Twitter, which is such an interesting platform. I learned so much through Twitter. It's not It's not like Instagram where it's all like, look at me. It's not TikTok where, you know, you're being forced by the algorithm to, to look at things that's going to make your life more stressful and miserable. We'll talk about that another time. But but I just love Twitter because I find it a great place for learning. It can be overwhelming as well. But one of the great follows on Twitter, and I've talked about this guy before. I'm not sure who's, who's behind this account, but it's called The Cultural Tutor. The Cultural Tutor, and the the handle on Twitter is at Cultural Tutor, T-U-T-O-R. And he came up with this thread about the 1,500-year-old self-help book. What it really is, it's actually a book about philosophy, and it's written by Boethius. Boethius. I don't know if you are a Boethius scholar, if you know much about him. I certainly didn't, so this was very enlightening to me. But he wrote a book called The Consolation of Philosophy. Now, he wrote it in the year 523 A.D., when he was just about to be executed. And it it is packed with powerful information. I'm going to share with you eight of the most powerful ideas from this book. And this is courtesy of the Cultural Tutor. The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. And you can find this anywhere. By the way, it's public domain by now, so you can find it on the, the Gutenberg app or wherever um, so he's, he doesn't care about the rights. Number one, he's no longer with us uh, for, for a long, long time, for over 1,500 years. But uh, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, exactly 1,500 years to the date, to the year, 523 A.D., we're in 2023. This is an amazing book. And talk about a rags-to-riches story and then back again. This is, Boethius's story is, is something else. He was born in the year 480 A.D., to a rich, a very powerful, a very aristocratic family in Rome. Now, his father passed away when he was really young, but he was adopted by a very influential politician named Symmachus. So he, he, he caught a break really early in his life. He really caught a break. And he, he capitalized on it. Let me tell you, he didn't waste it. Before he was 30 years old, Boethius became the consul, uh, which is really the most prestigious role in Roman society. Usually only older men got this position, but he got it before he was 30 years old. Now, 10 years after this, uh, he had two sons, and they also did really well professionally. They were named joint consuls, and that was kind of a, a tribute to Boethius himself. Boethius at this time was the most important politician and writer in Italy. Now, King Theodoric promoted him to an even higher office, the Magister Officiorum, which sounds pretty awesome. sounds pretty official. Hey, I'm the magister officiorum. So that's what Boethius was at this point. And he went to the king's court in Ravenna and he helped rule over the entire kingdom at this point. So he he was on top of the world. He had it all. He had friends. He had family. He had influence. He was very wealthy. He was very well respected. I mean, he was definitely one of the one percenters of his time. But as the cultural tutor explains, this kind of nice tweet thread that he had about this. We'll post a link to this, by the way, as well by the way, as well. Unfortunately, everything fell apart for Boethius, but that's really where his insight into life really flourished uh, in the midst of incredible stress and an unbelievable bad fortune. A senator called Albinius was falsely accused of plotting against King Theodoric. And Boethius is like, yeah, this guy's innocent. You know, this is a false accusation. Albinius is a good dude. Not a problem here, but unfortunately, King Theodoric was absolutely paranoid by this point. He was worried about a potential revolt against his rule, so he executed Albinius, and Boethius, who had defended him, he threw Boethius into prison. And that's where King Theodoric said, okay, the Senate, you guys have to decide the fate of Boethius. So they convened a court, maybe it was a bit of a kangaroo court, they found him guilty of treason, and he was sentenced to the death penalty. So that's when he wrote this book. He's languishing in prison. He's awaiting his execution. In the year 523, he wrote this very, very short book called The Consolation of Philosophy. Now, this is better than any self-help book that you can find on the market this year in 2023. You know, we need a lot more than self-help. That, that's for sure. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 9149 We need much more than self-help because we can't ultimately help ourselves. When it comes to salvation, we can't save ourselves. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the true philosopher, Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, this book is something else, and we can certainly add the gospel to it. And this is really what the church did, by the way, throughout history as well. Peter Kreeft, uh in some of his works, he talks about medieval times, and it's more than just a restaurant where they do jousting, and you can eat chicken and stuff. Medieval times are given a bad rap because everyone thinks, oh, these are the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. But, but the Medieval Age was actually a really interesting period for the church because that's when the gospel and religious teaching from the, from the Judeo-Christian tradition kind of melded with Greek philosophy to create some pretty cool theology. And uh, it's almost like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Hey, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter in my chocolate. It's, yeah, it's a pretty good combination. I love it. I love it. it. It's like that with, with philosophy and faith. And so I love it. Uh, this, is what, this is what really kind of had to happen. And, and I'll, I'll sort of intersperse some, some spiritual stuff into this. But, but there's so much we can learn from this, this book called The Consolation of Philosophy. So the cultural tutor says there's really eight things that we can take away from this work that Boethius wrote. So, how he wrote it, he he sort of wrote it as an imaginary dialogue between himself as he's awaiting his execution in jail and Lady Philosophy, who's kind of pictured as an ethereal woman. So, he's having this imaginary conversation with Lady Philosophy. And so, it kind of starts off with Boethius lamenting his situation and how quote unquote unfair all of this is. He's in prison, he's been falsely accused, he's going to get killed. Went from being on top of the world to the bottom. And this is where lady's philosophy, Lady Philosophy's teaching really gets going. So, here are the top eight things that you need to know. Number one, fortune. Fortune. Philosophy, Lady Philosophy says to Boethius that, hey, fortune is an inevitable part of human life. History shows how unpredictable life is, how unpredictable world events are, how suddenly things can change. We can never foresee. What's going to happen to us? It's simply the way of life. But Lady Philosophy also tells him, hey, you can't complain, Boethius, about how quote-unquote unfairly you have been treated. Because guess what? If you are happy to enjoy the good things that fortune gave you you in this life, okay, well, why are you complaining about the bad? Plus, when you add it all up, if you're really doing an accounting here, the good things that fortune has given you in your life they've all far outweighed the bad and bad but here's the other interesting thing too bad times and certainly he was going through a bad time bad times just like good times must also pass at the at the end of it all they're going to pass we often lament the good times and We often don't know that we've been living in the good old days until the good old days are over, and we kind of wish someone had told us ahead of time, oh, by the way, these next couple of years, those are really going to be the good old days that you'll look back on. Well, they pass away. We kind of lament those glory days, as Bruce Springsteen sang about, but the flip side of that is that the bad times don't last either. You know, tough times don't last. Tough people do. I know that's a cheesy saying, but... But the bad times also pass. And here's a quote from the book. This is Lady Philosophy talking to Boethius. She says, quote, Balance out the good things and the bad that have happened in your life, and you will still have to acknowledge that you are way ahead. You are unhappy because you have lost those things in which you took pleasure. But you can also take comfort in the likelihood that what is now making you miserable will also pass away. Good times pass away, but then so do the bad mutability is our tragedy. And immutability is this idea that things change, they don't always stay the same. Mutability is our tragedy, but it's also our hope. The worst of times, like the best, are always passing away. End of quotes. That's a really interesting quote from the book. And and this is, by the way, this is the wheel of fortune. (laughs) And remember the, of course, it's it's still going. I actually saw Pat Sajak, not in person, but I I saw that he was at the Laker game the other night. I saw him in the crowd along with other celebrities. But here's the intro from one of our favorite game shows of all time, Wheel of Fortune. Check it out. Yep. This has nothing to do with Pat Sajak. It has nothing to do with Vanna White. It has everything to do with Boethius. They stole the idea from him, essentially. So this is the metaphorical wheel of fortune. And there's been lots of depictions of the wheel of fortune in art throughout the centuries. And hey, sometimes you're at the top of the wheel, you're at the top of the top, and sometimes you're being crushed by the wheel, you're at the bottom. But the good thing about it, as my wife's grandmother used to love to say, eventually the wheel's going to turn and things will change. So good times may not last, but neither do the bad times. And that's the good thing about the wheel. So the wheel of fortune lifts us up casts us down seemingly at random, brings us good times and then bad no matter what we want or try to do. So this is a familiar concept. But we'd have to say that, you know, as Catholics, we're looking at something else. We're not looking at the wheel of fortune. We're looking at providence. We're looking at the providence of Almighty God. And so thinking about this, it, it made me think about the book of Job. And what did Job say in that book? The Lord gives, and he had a lot of calamities, of course, as we know. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so providence is really key here. So that's, that's point number one uh, that we can get out of the Consolation of Philosophy, this little book that Boethius wrote when he was imprisoned 1,500 years ago this year. Maybe the greatest self-help book of all time. But the second thing we've got to get out of this, according to the cultural tutor, is that bad fortune, or people call bad fortune, is actually very useful Lady Philosophy then explains to Boethius how it's actually good for us at times to experience a reversal of fortune in our lives. It doesn't feel good if we have, say, a financial reversal or we, we lose a job or a friendship comes to an end or a romantic relationship comes to an end. And we put all our hopes in something and it didn't work out. We've invested in a business and a belly flopped. The Maple Leafs lose again in the playoffs. Okay, so a, a bad fortune can actually be useful because it helps us to understand the world more clearly. And it prepares us for future bad times. As a Leaf fan, I think I've had enough preparation. Thank you very much. But it ensures that we enjoy the good times even more. And this is what Lady Philosophy says. Quote, all fortune is good fortune for it either rewards, disciplines, amends, or punishes, and so is either useful or just. End of quote. So this is what Boethius is realizing. He's facing the death penalty. There is good. It's very, very hard to see. Um, the, The hidden silver lining, or people talk about hidden blessings. Well, sometimes they're really well hidden. There is a good in everything for us, if we can see it, if we can see it. And obviously, the verse that comes to mind when, when thinking about this from a Catholic perspective is Romans 8.28, that we know that in all things, not just some things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so that's, that's hard to see sometimes with human eyes, but that, that's really important for us to know, that all fortune is good fortune. We could say all providence is good providence. It either rewards, disciplines, amends, or punishes, and is either useful or just. And, and it's important for us, too. Another thing that, that is said here by by Lady Philosophy is that <clears throat> when we have a reversal of fortune, it, it helps us sometimes to enjoy the the good things in life even more. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes, maybe it's the Irish Catholic in me. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Maybe it's the Irish Catholic in me, but... Some of us struggle with Catholic guilt and extreme scrupulosity at times, and, and sometimes we, we feel like, yeah, you know, even the good things in life, the, the, the good blessings maybe it's just me, but maybe you, you felt this way as well. 888 914 9149, let me know that sometimes even the, the great blessings in life it's almost like you I, I feel like I don't really deserve this, you know, it's too good. I don't know, I'm, not, I'm just talking about the, the simple joys of life a great meal, beautiful sunset. In the springtime, you know, now the 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 blossoms are coming out, the cherry blossoms. It's just it's just amazing, and um, the joy of human love, all all this stuff. It's it's uh, you feel, I don't deserve it, but no, God wants you to enjoy these blessings. And you know, my wife was I was talking to my wife about this. She said, "You know how you combat that?" She's she's really a good a good spiritual director for me. I, I find that I don't know if you can concur, but. My wife is is definitely a great spiritual director for me, and hopefully I can help her along the path as well. But she said, you know how you con- how you combat that, how you combat this, this this concept of, you know, yeah, you, you have a hard time enjoying the joyful things. Combat that with Thanksgiving, with gratitude. Give thanks for all the good things, the great blessings in our lives. Give thanks for King Edward's chicken. You know, producer Jim loves to go there. Enjoy that, you know, but. When you, when, you, when you give thanks for the good things and, and express gratitude to God at all times, it's going to help you when the bad times come too, that you can somehow even thank him for that. It, it doesn't seem seem like what, the thing to do, but we have to give thanks to God at all times. That's the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, as the, as the Bible explains to us. So that's really important. When you're in the habit of give, being grateful when things are good, you can be more grateful when you're at the bottom of that wheel of fortune, when you're being crushed by it, as it were. So that, that's, that's, that's point number two. The third thing that uh, the cultural tutor says we can get out of this book, The Constellation of Philosophy, is that we actually have more than we realize. We have more than we realize. Lady Philosophy tells Boethius, hey, look, even though you're in prison, you still have. You still have more than many people in the world could ever dream of. Yeah, you're in prison. Yeah, you're going to be executed. But you've got two sons. They're healthy. They're alive. They're very successful in life. Uh, Simakas, the this guy who took you under uh, under his wing when you, when you were a kid, he's still alive. He's still doing well. You're in prison. Yeah, but you still have three squares a day. You're still getting food. You're still getting water. You've got a roof over your head protect you from the elements, you've got your books, you can still read. It could be worse. I know I know. It, it doesn't seem like it, but it actually could be worse. There's always a worse situation. And so Lady Philosophy asks him this very, very pointed question. Hey, Boethius, how many people exist in the world, do you reckon, who would think that they were in heaven if they enjoyed the merest fraction of the fortune which is still yours? So there are always there is always somebody who's in a worse spot than you, no matter how much you, you, you think you're suffering. That's point number three. One more, and I'll we'll take a little break here, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. 888-914-9149. Have you ever read this book, The Consolation of Philosophy, by Boethius? All right, so point number four, who is happy anyway? Who is really happy anyway? Lady Philosophy says to Boethius, look, nobody is ever really happy. No one is ever completely happy on earth or has everything that they want because everybody at some point is always lacking one thing or maybe worried about another. Even those who seem happy, maybe they are happy, generally speaking, even they're bothered by something and they're they're therefore not fully satisfied with their lives. So here's a quote from Lady Philosophy. Quote, does anyone enjoy... Such total blessedness that he does not find fault in some respect with his condition? Human welfare is a constant cause of worry, for it never wholly prospers, and it never remains constant. One man has an abundance of wealth, but is ashamed of his inferior origins. and Maybe... Maybe this person doesn't come from old money, if you will. They're they're the nouveau riche, you know, but nobody really respects him. Ah, ah, This guy's from a bad family or a poor family. So he's not respected in his world. Another person, she says, is celebrated for his noble birth, but is beset by domestic poverty. Okay, maybe you are an aristocrat, but you're flat broke now. Another man is richly endowed with both nobility and wealth, but laments his life as a bachelor. A second is happily married, but childless. A third is blessed with a family, but the failings of a son or a daughter cause him distress. So no person is easily reconciled to his allotted condition. Every human faces drawbacks, whether unknown because not yet experienced, or grim because they're already encountered. Moreover, the most fortunate people are also the most squeamish. Even trifling reverses detract, from the sum of happiness of those who are most privileged. End of quote. So it's true. The, the, the Kardashians of the world—not to pick on the Kardashians, keeping up with the Kardashians—but the person who you think has everything, and they're not in any kind of material want. They—they they seem to have everything that they need. And of course, we got to ask where they're at spiritually. But you know, Saint Jose Maria talked about the the happiness of a contented animal. Okay, you're well fed. You've got a place to sleep. You got nice clothes. Uh, you're not you're. Reasonably healthy. You've got the happiness of a contented animal. But even people who seem to have it all, they're they're ticked off about something. Um, they'll complain yeah, the caterers didn't get the order right or something like that. So there's always something, and this is the, this is the human condition, uh, to be sure. So we got much more to talk about on the Kale Clark Show. Got to take a quick break right now. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Going through the constellation of philosophy. Maybe the Greatest self-help book of all time. Extremely relevant, 2023. Be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Back to the program great John Mayer. You, you might be on the last train home. might be in your car. You might be at home. You might be chilling on the beach somewhere out in California. Glad to be with you. 888 You can also email the show. Become a Shadow Producer. I'll have to make some t-shirts for you guys or something. kale at relevantradio.com is the email address. kale, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com Follow me on Twitter at Cale Clark, C-A-L-E Clark with an E. Well, I talked about another Twitter account, at Cultural Tutor, the Cultural Tutor. He's always got such great uh, lessons from the world, from history, from culture. He's talking about what he thinks maybe is one of the best self-help books of all time. It's 1,500 years old this year. It's The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius, who was languishing in prison. He was at the top of the top, top of the wheel of fortune of life, if you will. One of the elite of society, gets falsely accused, he's thrown in prison, loses everything, and he's about to be executed. And he writes this book of imaginary dialogues with lady philosophy. He kind of tries to set him straight. He's kind of preaching to himself, I guess he could say, and I guess it worked. This is pretty profound stuff. So we're talking about the eight lessons you can get from this. And you can, uh, if you miss the first four, download the podcast. Uh, sometime after this show ends, usually within about a half an hour or so, uh, just check the Relevant Radio app. It should be up or wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, doesn't matter. We're everywhere. The RelevantRadio.com website is a good place to go as well. And you can catch up on what you missed. Do your homework. Share it with a friend. All right, so point number five. These are the eight lessons that you can get from the Constellation of Philosophy. What did Boethius learn? as he, His life was about to end, but he learned some pretty profound lessons in the home stretch, in the bottom of the ninth, if you will number five external things do not make us happy so lady philosophy is having this imaginary conversation with lady philosophy she basically tells him look if you place any of your value on external material things they're never going to satisfy so she asks boethius look even when you were rich and powerful were you ever actually completely happy, completely free of all worries? Here's what she says, quote, So I first inquire of you, as one who until recently possessed an abundance of riches, when you had all that money, was there never a time when you were worried and disturbed in mind through some wrong that you sustained? And Boethius answers, I have to admit, I cannot ever recall feeling free from one worry or another. So we're never completely happy if we have, even if we have all the external stuff that society thinks that we should have or ought to have or we need to have to make us happy. So Lady Philosophy just kind of deconstructs his life, if you will, and dismantles this idea that material pursuits can make you happier. She kind of goes through it all power, wealth, fame. Physical pleasures, the delights of the flesh, if you will, vices that people have. And she none of these things are going to satisfy. And so Lady Philosophy has a really interesting quote on fame and how brief it is, how foolish it is to chase fame. It's not going to satisfy you. And this is extremely relevant. 1500 years later, in the age of TikTok, in the age of Instagram, fame, if you will, in quotation marks. And just how foolish it is to chase these things. It's an illusion. So here's what she says. Again, this is in the year 523 AD. It's just as fresh today. She said, quote, As you have learned from the astronomers, it is certain that the entire circumference of the Earth is a mere pinprick when measured against the universe. And as tiny as... Hey, she didn't have access to the Hubble telescope, Lady Philosophy. And as tiny as our planet is it's only, only about a quarter of it is inhabited. Then, if you subtract from this quarter of the earth that's inhabited, all the areas occupied by seas and marshlands and tracts of lands laid waste by drought, only the narrowest confines remain for human occupation. So hemmed in as circumscri- and as circumscribed as you are within this tiny microcosm of a microcosm, It's a microcosm of a microcosm. Why is your mind intent on glorifying your name and publicizing your reputation? What renown and splendor can your fame possess when confined within such petty and restricted limits? Bear in mind, as well, the divergent characters and customs of different nations, what some of them regard as praiseworthy, others condemn as punishable. And how many men, highly famed in their own day, have been expunged from our memory because the lack of records has brought them oblivion. And writings themselves are of little use, for in the long run, they and their authors are buried by the passage of time." End of quote. Whew. That's, that's a gut punch to a lot of people there. Why is your mind intent on glorifying your name and publicizing your reputation? As St. Paul says in the New Testament, we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So that's, that's the only person we should be concerned about making more famous is Jesus himself. And that's why Relevant Radio exists, to bring Christ to the world through the media. Christ, not radio personalities, but Christ. So that's, that's really important. And, and all this is just so relative. And we, we need to really do what we do for an audience of one. An audience of one, because no one's going to remember who we are. Fifteen hundred years from now, in all likelihood, Kardashians— nobody will be keeping up with them in the year, you know, four thousand. Uh, who are they? Uh, not that they're not important. They're all—they're of, inter- of eternal consequence because they have eternal souls, and we should be concerned about their salvation as much as anyone. But we've got to keep an eternal perspective on this sort of stuff. I, I once heard this preacher give a sermon about this idea of chasing fame and, and earthly glory. And he said, look, do you want titles or do you want testimonies? Do you want testimonies about yourself? So what what are people going to say about you after you've passed away? It, wh- what's your obituary going to be? Sit down and write it now. What do, you, what do you want it to be? And then make it happen. Because oh, what he said was this in, in his sermon. Do you want titles or testimonies? Because guess what's going to happen? at At the end of your life, you're going to die, they're going to put you in a box, they're going to put that box in the ground, they're going to throw dirt on your face, and then they're going to go back to the church and eat potato salad. And uh, what, what are they going to be saying about you? I mean, well, that, that's, that's the whole point. And, and sometimes it's, it's just, it's never enough. It's never enough for, for, for a lot of people, whether it's power, wealth. And, and, and this is what the cultural tutor says, those with power or wealth always fear losing them and never have peace of mind. Those who pursue fame are pursuing an illusion. Physical pleasures always leave us unfulfilled and wanting more. Nothing external can make us truly satisfied or truly happy. So in the book, Lady Philosophy says to Boethius, Let the rich man increase his hoard. It is never enough. All that gold and all those red sea pearls that hang from his pudgy neck, they only weigh him down. Out in his fields, hundreds of oxen may be plowing. But the furrows of care are deep in his creased brow and he worries about those riches he can't take with him. Now Jesus told a parable about the rich fool. It's the same sort of thing. Hey, I've I've got all this stuff. My my granary is full. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. Your soul will be required of you. And who's going to get all your stuff? I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. But but. You've got to put God first. None of this stuff is going to last. You can't take it with you. There will not be a U-Haul behind the hearse, packed with all your stuff. So the money, the gold, the fame, it's fleeting, ephemeral. And it's its, it's from the outside. It's not going to make you truly happy. So point number six from the Consolation of Philosophy. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. We'd love to hear your reaction to this. Eight 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 nine one four. 914 9149 nine. Point number 6 the source of real happiness what's that all about external roots to happiness the wealth power fame pleasures that people seek they can never make us truly happy so the source of real happiness has to be internal internal for what is internal can never be affected by the wheel of fortune and, and C S Lewis uh, the the great you know, he wasn't catholic but he was a Uh, he could have been Catholic. He had a lot of Catholic beliefs. He never did convert for some reasons, which I won't get into here. But C.S. Lewis once said this. He said that if I experience that there's nothing, that there's something in me that nothing in this world can ever satisfy, that must mean that I'm made for another world. The kingdom of heaven, that's really what it's all about the new heaven, the new earth. And St. Augustine, of course, who had a taste of all these earthly pleasures, he, he, he was mad into the pleasures of the flesh, partying, whatever, uh, worldly glory for his intellectual smarts, whatever the case may be. He wrote those most famous words outside of the sacred scriptures. You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's, of course, from his autobiography, The Confessions. And, and this is, this is what we, we have to understand, that it's only God and our soul in a state of grace that can give us that, that, that true satisfaction, the, the source of real happiness, God himself. But from a philosophical point of view, they, they talk about the virtues, and we Catholics talk about the virtues as well. And this idea of the good is very, very intertwined with the concept of happiness. If we're good, we're happy. If we're happy, we've got to be good. And this is what uh, Lady Philosophy says to Boethius in the book. One's virtue is all that one truly has, because it's not imperiled by the vicissitudes of fortune. End of quote. That's a fun word, isn't it? Vicissitudes. I love that word. And it's true. It's absolutely true that when, when everything is taken away from you what, do you, what do you have left? Just your character, your character, your ethics, your virtues. That's all that you really have. And it's not imperiled by the vicissitudes of fortune. And so the cultural tutor says that this really produces a profound realization in Boethius that only those who are internally happy have any real, actual power, wealth, or pleasure. It's all from within. All humans seek happiness, but those who do so through the external means are never satisfied. And what cannot satisfy surely has no power unto itself. So that's that's point number six, and that's really important. All right, two more. Point number seven. Bad people suffer the most. Bad people suffer the most. Now, that's not necessarily what we might think looking at the world today. It seems like the greedy are prospering, um, white-collar criminals get off scot-free. It seems like nobody's ever getting their just desserts. But here's what Lady Philosophy says in the book. Quote, There is no place whatever... For hatred in the minds of the wise. Only an utter idiot would hate good men, and it is irrational to hate the wicked. Okay, so we, we, we sometimes are tempted to um to to sort of envy those who are doing bad things. Uh, envy the people who are not good. And I, I secretly wish I could do these things too. Um, they seem to be getting away with things scot-free. But that's not the case. That's not the case. I mean, obviously, God in his eternity, nobody ever gets away with anything. Nobody ever breaks the Ten Commandments. They break themselves against them. We've heard that. There is, of course, justice with God. But but even from a worldly perspective, th- think about this. So this is what Lady Philosophy says. There's no, There's no place whatsoever for hatred in the minds of any wise person. Okay, o- only an utter idiot would hate a good person. It's irrational to hate the wicked because... If vice is a species of mental disease comparable to an illness in the body, since we regard those who are physically ill as wholly undeserving of hatred and deserving rather of pity, then men with minds oppressed by wickedness, a condition more dreadful than any sickness, should all the more be pitied rather than hounded. So basically what she's saying is we should actually be feeling sorry for these people who who are... doing bad things and who are kind of seem to be glorifying in all this bad behavior. No, no, no. They're, they're actually, we actually should be feeling really sorry for them. It's worse than any physical illness that you could possibly imagine. And so they're, they're trying, they they think that what they're doing is going to make them happy, but it won't. It won't. Even, even St. Thomas Aquinas said that the reason anybody does anything at all is because they think it's going to lead to happiness now, obviously, the pious, you know, we, we pray that's going to make us more happy. We know that, as Saint Jose Maria said, hey, if you, if you want to be happier, be more holy. If you want to be really, really happy, be really, really holy. If you want to be extremely happy, be extremely holy. But even, even people who commit sins and mortal sins and evil acts, the only reason why they do these things is because they think it's going to make them happier. But, but it's not. They're wrong about that. They're wrong about that. And then the last thing, point number eight. Uh, from The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius, is this concept that nothing bad can happen to a good person. Nothing really bad can actually happen to a good person. So, this is one of the most powerful ideas here, that if we're really happy, there's no external factor, no matter how bad you can possibly dream it up, that can ever change that. A person at peace with themselves and we would say with God, is all-powerful. So here's a quote again from Lady Philosophy in the book. So, wicked men can rage as much as they like, but the wise man's crown will not tumble or wither, for no outsider's wickedness can pluck from honest hearts the glory that is theirs. Now, if a person derives that glory from an external source, some other person or circumstance could deprive him of it. But since it is bestowed on the individual by his own self-worth, he will lose his reward only when he ceases to be good, good itself being happiness. So that's important. So nobody nobody can ever take anything away from us. So if we are right with God, if we are, uh, and Jesus said, hey, no one is good but God alone. And he wasn't denying that he was God. He's basically saying, okay, if you're saying I'm so good, you should recognize that I'm God here. You know, But uh if we have God in our soul, nobody can take that away from us. And, and we, can, we can only lose it if we intentionally freely commit mortal sin and say no to God. So th- this, is, this is incredibly important. We really have to, uh, to get this right. Got to take a quick break right now, but would love to hear from you. 888 914 It's K.O. Clark Show. Much more, a lot of faith, facts, and fun coming your way right after this break. and share it too. It's the Kale Clark Show. Have a question? Give Kale a call at 888-914-9149. Yeah, we've been having a great time discussing, and we just kind of finished it off, the eight points that you need to know from a 1,500-year-old self-help book published in 523 AD by a guy named Boethius. you probably heard of him. He was about to be executed. He lost it all. He was unjustly accused of terrible crimes, thrown in prison, and he was executed. But before he went into eternity, he uh, left us with a pretty important work called The Consolation of Philosophy. And by the way, uh, ever since its first printing, uh, it's been translated and reprinted again and again and again by every generation through the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, into the 20th century, and now the 21st. It was, it, I mean, if there were charts back then, as the cultural tutor says, it would have been a bestseller. For the last fifteen hundred years, eternal lessons there. And one last point from the book, as Lady Philosophy says, nothing is miserable unless you think it so, and on the other hand, nothing brings happiness unless you are content with it. And so, facing death, Boethius was not miserable. Uh, Philosophy consoled him. He found he did find happiness at the very end of his life, and helped many others to do so as well. Now, imagine if he had, if this guy, he was such an incredible philosopher. If only he had found Christ. He could have made even more of an impact. You know, the true philosopher, it's, it's like Justin Martyr. We'll talk about him soon. His feast day is coming up June 1st. Uh, the great philosopher who is searching for truth, and he meets this mysterious old man on, on a beach. He's a Christian, and he tells him about the true philosophy of Christianity, of the Catholic Church, and so he meets Jesus, becomes a great teacher of the faith, and a martyr himself. So, really cool stuff, as always, from the cultural tutor. Well, somebody else who's pretty cultured, in certain ways, and I'll tell you how, is a guy who I think is maybe the most interesting man in the world, and I'll tell you who he is in just a second, but has something to do with what happened last night. Hey, we go from the wheel of fortune, as it were, to the draft lottery. (laughs) Last night's NBA draft lottery featuring ping pong balls in a hopper. Fortunes were changed last night, and it was an upset. Here's the last four picks. Check this out. The fourth pick in the NBA draft goes to the Houston Rockets. The third pick belongs to the Portland Trailblazers. The second pick will be made by the Charlotte Hornets. And that means that the number one pick in the 2023 NBA Draft goes to the San Antonio Spurs. The San Antonio Spurs walk away with the first overall pick in the 2023 Draft. The right to draft a paradigm shifter, a generational talent in Victor Wenbanyama, their first number one pick since 1997 in Tim Duncan. Wow, how, how fortunate are the Spurs? My goodness, uh, they're going to have you know if this guy pans out. And, and, and people are so hyped about Victor Wembanyama. He is seven foot five. He's a nineteen year old uh, French player. You've probably seen tapes of him, uh, videos of him on YouTube. If you're a basketball fan, this guy is just unreal. He's first of all I, this era of players who are. Big, but can can play like a guard. It really, kind of started with Kevin Durant, you know, hitting three pointers, being a seven footer, and being so mobile. But man, there, there's just guys out there like Chet Holmgren, who was drafted last year by um, by OKC, got hurt unfortunately. But Wim is on another from another planet. I mean, this guy could be the best defensive player in the NBA, or the best and the best offensive player as well within the first couple of years. If he, he needs to put on some weight, but man, the sky is the limit. He can pretty much scrape the sky. This guy is so tall. But I'll tell you what, San Antonio Spurs, they've had the Admiral, David Robinson, in the 80s and 90s. Then they had Tim Duncan, both Hall of Fame big men. And now they get Victor Wembanyama. you got to think they're going to pick him with the number one pick. But Charlotte shouldn't feel too bad because if I were them, I'd pick Scoot Henderson with number two pick. He, this guy's, this guy's going to be special as well. But Wembanyama is uh, an epoch-changing player. And uh, you heard uh, there, the voice of NBA Deputy Commissioner and COO Mark Tatum making those picks, those envelopes prepared by the accounting firm of whoever, Ernst. I don't know who it was this year, but I always find, I find the draft lottery like more exciting sometimes in the games. And um, that was the voice, by the way, of Malika Andrews from ESPN uh, narrating that. But who's the most interesting man in the world? Well, it's the guy who's going to get to coach Victor Wimbanyana. And I am talking about the great Greg Popovich. With apologies to the Dos Equis guy. Remember him? He, I think Greg Popovich is really the most interesting man in the world, but here's the Dos Equis guy, in case you've forgotten. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis. Stay thirsty, my friends. Alright, well, Greg Popovich, um, I think he's going to stay thirsty because uh, people were thinking he was going to retire. He's a certain Hall of Famer as well, whenever he decides to do so. He's 74 years old. And he's still coaching the San Antonio Spurs, and I, he's been contemplating retirement for at least a decade. And he thought he actually he said he was going to retire when Tim Duncan retired. He didn't. He kept going, and I think he's gonna he's gonna be coaxed to stay on board here to be have a chance to to coach another generational big man. But this, I, I got to tell you what, Greg Popovich. He I, I don't think he drinks Dos Equis, and I'll tell you why. He's more of a wine guy. He's a wine connoisseur. I'll tell you about that. But he, he may be the most interesting man, if not in the world, certainly in the NBA. Um, he's got an incredible backstory. Did you know that he, he went to the Air Force Academy, uh, and he also pursued a, a career, potentially, as a spy. He was, he was in the intelligence field. Um, he after, after, when he was five years of active duty with the Air Force after graduating from the Academy, he spent time as an intelligence officer in eastern Turkey, And he actually applied for top secret work in Moscow. And he was thinking about becoming a CIA agent, but he didn't. Instead, he came back and began his coaching career, his basketball coaching career at the Air Force Academy. And that's where it all started for him. But he he sort of, by the way, this should give you hope if you've ever thought about, um, you know, I've hit rock bottom professionally. It couldn't be worse than this. When he started coaching, this is back in 1979. Greg Popovich—you would never imagine he was going to be a Hall of Fame coach when, when this happened. He was coaching um, the Division Three Pomona Pitzer Sagehens. Okay, I've never heard of this school. The Division Three Pomona Pitzer Sagehens. He went two and twenty-two, two wins and twenty-two losses in his inaugural season in 1979, and that included a loss to a to a team from Caltech. Now Caltech had lost its previous 99 games going into that game against uh, Pops squad and they won. So I mean you just you just lost to a team that's that's lost their last 99 games in a row. <laughs> they broke the streak with you. I mean that was rock bottom. But eventually he restored. He, he actually won a Division 3 championship with it, with this team, got him going, and then eventually he um he got on as an assistant coach with the San Antonio Spurs went to the front office in 1994. He was actually the general manager and president, fired the coach Bob Hill in 96 and 97, the 96-97 season the Spurs had started 3 and 15. David Robinson was hurt, so they had a bit of an excuse, but Greg Popovich fires Bob Hill and then puts himself in as head coach and that's where he's been ever since. But what, he's known as being a very interesting dude, but his players love him because what he'll do is he'll he'll take them to these fancy restaurants, and, and introduce them to wines. Here, here's, an, here's an anecdote um, that happened. Before, before Game 6 of the 2013 NBA Finals, the Spurs were playing the Miami Heat. He had prepared, uh, he thought they were going to win the championship, and he'd set up a celebration at their favorite Miami restaurant, Il Gabiano. But then Ray Allen hits the miracle three-pointer from the corner, sends the game to overtime, the Spurs lose. The team was devastated, and Popovich says, my response is, family. Everybody to the restaurant, straight there. And they, they just enjoyed the food and wine, and, and he kind of just had this fellowship with them around, around the, the table. And it was kind of life support for them. It was a display of leadership that they never forgot. They didn't lose the series. They lost Game 7. They won it the next year. But this, this idea of understanding each individual player and taking them out to dinner knowing them as a person, hey, Jesus knew that good things happen." Around the meal tables, right? Lots of incredible conversations, lots of leadership lessons. So, I just think it's going to be really intriguing to uh, to watch Greg Popovich. Uh, this is going to give him a, a new lease on life as he gets Victor Wembanyama in all likelihood as his latest project. Uh, exciting, exciting stuff. So, I hope you've enjoyed the Kale Clark Show today. So many things to talk about, but we've run out of time. We've run out of time. But don't forget, you can get the podcast of anything that you missed. On the Relevant Radio app, RelevantRadio.com And do check out The Faith Explained We're doing this great series on the papacy The biblical roots of the papacy Uh, Today, it was episode 3 How Peter Became the Rock I should have called it Rocky 3 Would have been a pretty punny title Anyways, keep it locked on Relevant Radio Jim Schaefer produced Young Thomas, took your phone calls Be back tomorrow, take away Michaela Thank you for listening to my daddy